0: I mean, they, they really did believe that there was this going to be this thousand-year Reich. So they were planning for the future in a big way.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Aspects of History podcast. My name's Oliver Webb Carter, and I'm the editor. And today I'm talking to Mandy Robotham, who's written a new novel out on Thursday the 31st of March. Called The Resistance Girl. And it's a, I've read it, it's a great read, recommend it. It's a, a lovely page turner and set in occupied Norway during the Second World War. But what's most interesting about it is, and Mandy has alluded to it at the top there, is this particularly sinister and, and nasty practice of Lebensborn when the Nazis had maternity units in many of their occupied uh, areas, er occupied countries, containing women that had been impregnated by Nazis. And as we go in to talk about in a little bit more detail, they had a a program to repopulate the Reich in perpetuity. And as I say, pretty horrible stuff. So Mandy... We talk about that. We talk about a few other things around occupied Norway and a bit of more on historical fiction. Mandy is a best-selling author. Her book is published by Avon Harper Collins, and she sold. This is her fifth novel. She sells books all over the world. Best-selling uh, author here and in America. So, I highly recommend that. Elsewhere with aspects of history, we've got a. Um, I've put on our website. We've got this interview with two great historians, Max Hastings and Saul David. Max Hastings wrote a book very recently all about Operation Pedestal, which was an operation to relieve the island of Malta during the Second World War in 1942. And he's interviewed by Saul David, who we've had on the show. He is a historian of, of the Second World War And the two men chat about this incredible event, actually. I recommend the interview because Max's um, character really comes out in it. And it's on our homepage. You can't miss it. Elsewhere, we've got something on espionage in Berlin during the Cold War written by a German historian called Bernd von Koska. You'll find that in our article section. And also... The voucher code is still valid for listeners to my podcast. You can go to the show notes where you'll see the code. It's history50%. If you add that at checkout, you get an annual subscription to Aspects of History magazine featuring contributions from authors like Max Hastings and Simon Sebag Montefiore and Daisy Dunn and Tessa Dunlop. And you will be able to get that annual subscription for only 4 So that's six issues we publish every other month for only £4.99. Easter's coming. You can get it as a gift for Easter. I don't know if we all do presents for Easter. But why? if you don't, why not start now? So, I have finished rabbiting on. Without further ado, I'll hand you over to me, talking to Mandy Robotham, all about occupied Norway in the Second World War. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, Mandy Robotham, welcome to the Aspects of History podcast. Uh, I, I just want to, did I say your surname correctly?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a whole range of things. It's Robotham, Robotham. My dad used to answer the phone Robotham, like it was something posh. but I, I just say, robot
1: ham oh ah, awesome. robot ham brilliant yeah, okay, great
0: way right. to
1: spell it well, we're here to talk about your new book, um which i've I've read fantastic uh fantastic book, the resistance girl thank you um and yeah, and we were just talking before I hit record, so I think it's be- we can talk about that um in that the, you're saying that n- your your main demographic is it fair to say it, it, it tend not to be um people like me as in you know
0: yes uh, yes so i i suppose my genre being historical fiction mainly world war ii is aimed a lot at the female market not exclusively because anyone can pick up a book but that's probably where my the base of my readers are but i do get quite a lot of uh social media posts from uh, male readers of all ages actually
1: that's interesting because I, I was reading it, and it's set in. For the benefit of our listeners, The Resistance Girl is set in occupied Norway. Um, but I was reading. I mean, within the f- the first chapter um, or the opening sort of scenes rather, are um, it's straight out of Where Eagles Dare. Uh, Heroes of Telemark. You have got people parachuting into occupied Norway. So you know, you had me after the first first page.
0: Oh, great. Great. Because I love films like that. I watched the heroes of Telemark, you know, with Kirk Douglas in, in, his, in his sweater, you know, looking great. Um, and I'm a big fan of spy books um, and I read loads of crime fiction, historical crime. So I'm big into that into that market. Oh, that's a bit of Espionage.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Cause um I mean you've you've got you've got all the the the, the building blocks for a, a, a perfect thriller like that in there because as we have a Nazi with a scar. Um, which Yeah, gotta
0: have a nasty Nazi, haven't
1: you, you? You do, you do. Um so we'll we'll get on to the history, but I wanted to start by just asking a little bit about your career, because it's quite an interesting one. I'll be doing a little bit of, of research and you're a former journalist and midwife, is that right? Yeah,
0: so I started off uh, when I came out of university many, many moons ago. Uh, I started off as a trainee journalist, reporter uh, on local papers. And then I progressed to being a bit of a freelance. I worked quite a bit of freelance with the Evening Standard in London when I lived in London. And then I moved on to magazines uh, and then up popped my first baby. I had this baby and then I it was like a blue light moment, an epiphany. And I I decided then and there I had to be a midwife, uh, which, you know, with a new baby wasn't the best idea, but it worked. And then I, so I trained to be a midwife, which took three years. And then uh, I worked for the next 20 in the NHS, uh, attached to a brilliant birth center in Stroud in Gloucestershire, got to give it a plug, Stroud maternity unit, best place on earth to have a baby. Um, had both my babies there and then, but finally, the, the writing bug never left me. I always wanted to write a book. I always wanted to write something more than it was a feature or an article. And so I went back to uni again to uh, Oxford Brooks And I did uh, an MA, Masters in Creative Writing there while I was working.
1: And this is your, f- is this your fifth book?
0: Is this is my fifth book, yeah. So with Avon HarperCollins
1: brilliant okay so now i wanted to ask you a little bit about um your your previous life as a as a midwife because uh, actually a very good uh, a friend of mine um quit her high high profile job in fashion to become a midwife um it's it's so it does seem to be quite a seductive well i, I call it a job it probably doesn't feel like a job
0: it grabs at you i think it right. grabs at you it's much more than nine to five um given that babies come at all hours but yes I did give a lot of my life I missed a lot of kids birthday parties and family events to be at births and you know maybe that's a good or a bad thing I don't know wow but yes wow. I was out at all hours on call quite a lot of the time and I specialized quite a lot in home birth and birth in the in the small midwife led unit um which is mainly what I write about I don't I don't pretend to be a hospital midwife. I haven't been for many, many years. So all the births that I write about are things or scenarios that I've been in myself, albeit in a different historical setting.
1: So there's a birth in a crate in this novel. Um, Uh, She's actually
0: in a crate. No, she comes out of the crate. I (laughs) know. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Luckily, she comes out of the crate for that one. (laughs) <laughs> but no spoil no spoilers uh, no spoilers yeah there's a there's a couple of births in this one it's it's three books since I did since I wrote about birth so I thought it was about time I returned
1: yeah great stuff and now I've got to ask because we've just had a hit tv show in this country um, called this is going to hurt which is all about a birth unit now I know you've mentioned um, you maybe didn't work in the sort of unit like that but what did you think of the TV show? Because it's been you quite controversial. It. Oh, you haven't watched it? Is you that is that an active no. act decision? Don't want to watch it? Yeah, I uh, I
0: don't necessarily agree with that. Watson all? Interesting. Policy. You you won't find me writing about the real stuff.
1: Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, let's get on with Norway. So, occupied Norway, um, and I th- the novel starts in January '42. So, Norway has been invaded. The British. Um, had a failed attempt at resisting German invasion in 1940 so yeah why did you pick uh, Norway occupied Norway for your for your for the subject of your book
0: I like to go to places where um, the obvious theatre of war is not happening one of the books I went to Venice uh, one was in just the year set in Berlin just the year before before war i like to go to places where there's not an obvious uh known theater of war and i love scandinavia and and i just thought it was a really interesting um thing to tell the story of occupation rather than the story of open battle
1: yeah and and it's um it's quite a a, uh uh, it's quite an interesting uh, country to have been occupied, isn't it? Because there, there are there, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on in Norway. There's you know there the, the there are the natural resources that the Germans were after mm. and submarine pens and things like that. But um, but but one particular theme that's running throughout the book, it's sort of there in the background, is this Shetland bus that is yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because this is something that's, um, I I mean, I wasn't aware of until about a year ago, um, but it's quite an interesting story. I thought it was a
0: fairy story when I first heard it. And that's what I've subsequently written in an article for the Shetland Times that I really honestly thought it was a sort of a film uh, spec when I first heard it. It is an amazing thing is that the uh, British military, a whole plus A huge amount of Norwegian sailors that were not Norwegian Navy, um, just very, very brave individuals, actually manned this thing called the Shetland bus. It was a collection of trawlers initially that went across from Shetland, which is 300 miles west of uh, Norway, in the very unforgiving North Sea, and to ferry, munitions, money food, agents, refugees, anything basically, they could hide in a trawler. They picked up agents, they dropped them off. I mean, it was hugely, hugely dangerous and very courageous work. Um, And they lost a lot of people, a lot of boats went under. Uh, They could only do it in winter because uh, the long daylight hours meant that the German bombers would strafe over the North Sea. And pick them off so they could only do it in winter when the days were really short. The storms were incredible, gale force most of the time. It was the most incredible thing. Um, and it wasn't until 1943 that they actually swapped the trawlers for new submarine chasers, which were much hardier, metal, you know, um, and they didn't lose a single man overboard or, or during after that time. But before 1943, when my book is set, they lost an awful lot of men.
1: And the Norwegian resistance, how much... I know in your acknowledgements you you'd, you'd done a lot of... You'd collaborated with some Norwegian historians. Um, what was the research like? What did you discover in your research?
0: So, yeah, now the Norwegian resistance was largely passive, but they did an awful lot. They were very wily. They did an awful lot of sabotage, um, They were very clever in their resistance, um, much like the Dutch. Actually, I'm writing about the Dutch resistance now, and they were very clever in their sabotage. So they would do things like sabotage along with the British SOE operations. They would help with sabotage of things like fisheries, because, of course, the Germans needed fish oil for foodstuffs. It was hugely important, fish oil. So they would actually sabotage. Um, those It was mainly uh, looking out for naval traffic because, of course, the Germans needed that coastline. They needed the ice-free harbours for um, all of their munitions. You've mentioned the submarine pens already. These harbours were incredibly uh, valuable to the Germans um, because they needed to also um, transport iron ore f- from Sweden through Norway, and they really needed that
1: and the 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 the, the population of, of Norway was i guess i mean they weren't willing um w- w- uh, they weren't sort of willing um citizens uh, with the with the the german occupation but um, but what sort of how many uh, norwegian resistance resistors were there?
0: i don't i don't actually know that number i don't i guess it's a difficult number to
1: know yeah
0: difficult number the cells in the early part so the time when i'm talking about the early part was very very hit and miss there was no communication no coordination between them and it took some time to get that coordination going um so one of my characters that's what he's been sent over to do is to try and coordinate the cells around so it was when the invasion first happened, it was up in the north. There was lots of resistance, but they got picked off quite quickly by the, just the huge might of the, the German invasion. Um, so there were centres of it then around Bergen because it was on the coast, Narvik, Trondheim, a lot of agents running up and down there on that coast, um, which was then separate to sort of Oslo, which was then further east. Um, so it's difficult to know, but again, there was a, a lot of passive resistance. Uh, people wearing paper clips, for instance, um, until the Nazis banned it, they would wear paper clips on their lapels as a sign of that they were, they were against the Nazis. And they, up until about 1942, I think it was, they wore red caps. They wore red caps until the Nazis banned them wearing red caps. So that even Christmas cards then had to have yellow and blue uh, hats on the Santa on the version of Santa. So it was nice. it was all it was quite a sort of it was passive but it was very um patriotic uh, very patriotic.
1: Oh that's fantastic. Now now to contrast that with the patriotic um approach, there's the the famous Quisling um well, Quisling who was sort of the puppet um leader. But then any Yes. Yeah. Then a- any collaborator was then viewed as a, a Quisling.
0: So there were, I mean, in any country, if you look at wartime in any country, even in England, we had fifth columnists. There were fifth columnists in England betraying the, f- the most famous one. There's Lord Lord haw There were traitors in every single country, in France, in Holland, in Belgium, everywhere. You're always going to get people that are beholden, either ideologically or they're being threatened or their family is being threatened one or the other, you know, and they were, you have to, you have to be honest, there were some Norwegians who thought that the Germans might give them a better life uh, because the Germans were there to befriend them. That's what they wanted to do. They didn't want to make enemies of the Norwegian people. They befriended them uh, because they wanted to absorb them into the Reich.
1: The King of Norway was uh he's he's um there's actually been a a film made about have you seen it it's uh,
0: I haven't seen that film but I think it was one I was going to watch um, among the many that I
1: did yeah King Harkin the seventh I think is it yes so he um he he is sort of booted or he he flees for London doesn't he
0: yeah in June 1940 so he gets out along with the cabinet and they'd been to Parliament, I think the Parliament is called the Storting, I'm probably not saying that right, but they had a meeting beforehand and they passed an emergency decree to say that the Parliament couldn't be suspended without the King and the entire cabinet meeting again, which of course they couldn't until they got back into Norway, so in effect the constitution stood the entire war, it just wasn't on Norwegian soil. No, so, the quite... Woodland people were very loyal to the king on the, on the whole, on the most part.
1: Well, I was reading that um, the, 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 the Nazis then introduce their Reichscommissaire, um, yes. who, in the annals of unpleasant uh, people, he, he does seem particularly unpleasant.
0: He's not a nice man, is he? I didn't go into detail into it. Is it Joseph de Boffen? Or am yes. I saying that right again? Yes.
1: Um,
0: but he did come across to the Bergen area uh during the Televag crisis, which was in April 42, um, when two German uh, Gestapo were killed in a sort of skirmish, as it were, with some SOE agents. And uh Basically, he came and then annihilated the entire island and, and took all the people off it and imprisoned them just for... So, yeah, he was, he was not a nice character.
1: And I know some of them um, were sent to Sachsenhausen concentration camp in, in Berlin. You've written a couple of books about Berlin. Have you, I don't know if you've been to Sachsenhausen.
0: I have been to Sachsenhausen because actually my third novel focused on uh, quite a lot on Sachsenhausen, so I did go to visit it. And um, yeah, you know, incredible. A small camp compared to things like Auschwitz and Bergen-Belsen, but nevertheless, very chilling to to actually be on that soil.
1: Mm, I went. I went quite soon after the wall came down, and the, so the Russians had had kept it quite similar to how it yeah. how it had been in 1945. Um, so. So, yes, move, moving on to uh, some of the Nazi characters. I, I like the way you, you wrote, write about them because it's very easy to m- make them into monsters. Um, mm-hmm. but, but there's the... Um, and we'll talk a little bit about the Lebensborn. That's, that's a it's sort of horrific um, horrific uh, I, well, ideological approach from the Nazis. But, but there's one particular uh, Nazi character who's in charge of the, the sort of maternity unit the yes. sort of Nazi midwife as it were <laughs> and <laughs> but he's got this uh, it's just unpleasant aroma which yes. really does rise from the page I
0: think <laughs> well I just think that you know there was there was a lot of eating and drinking I mean the Norwegians went through rationing but the Germans certainly didn't and so they they quite happily um patronized two hotels called the Norge and the Bristol and they ate very well Uh, and so I just got this idea that this man would just be scoffing his face most of the time and you know smoking cigars and smelling quite unctuous um, throughout and also he has this I didn't like him because I know I made him but I didn't like him because he seemed to have this complete disdain for women and, you know, he was just there to sort of oversee these women, as it were. He'd rather be out some, doing something else, but um, so every so often he'd just visit and spray his aroma everywhere. Um, so yeah, I, I don't quite know if I pictured him on any anybody in particular, but just he was just an unpleasant, nasty man.
1: <laughs> yes, well, yeah, well, whoever has is 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 a model for that will will um, uh, that wouldn't be happy news. Um, <laughs> Uh, and, and, yeah, so let's talk about Lebensborn. It's, it's this sort of, you know, ideological um, drive, really, to, well, you, you'd know a lot more about it than I do.
0: Yes, it was, I mean, it was, it's bizarre talking about it, because it's a completely bizarre thing. But it was, a, it was the brainchild of Heinrich Himmler, who was, you know, is again, quite a distinctly unpleasant um, individual, And he was fairly obsessed by this Aryan perfection, uh, the blonde, the blue eyed. And because the Nordic look, they seemed to align themselves, um, German Aryans with this Nordic look. And they wanted to uh, merge the two cultures and races um, with this idea. So in fact, sex outside marriage and birth outside marriage was generally in that time frowned upon but actually not if you were an ss officer if you're an ss officer it appears you could spray your seed as far as you wanted and then they would support the women so sometimes it was a case of a german officer falling in love with a norwegian woman and some of them did go off to germany some of the women did get married go off to germany and begin a new life and it was genuine love but a lot of the time it wasn't and so they would then be taken to something called Lebensborn, of which there isn't really a translation other than that it was just an ideological thing to produce. It was called give a child to the, to the Fuhrer. And I can't say the German, but it, the, the, the phrase upon it was give a child to the Fuhrer. Um, and it happened all over Europe. There's some very, very sad tales um, in Romania, Poland, across the Baltic states of children actually being just stolen, basically. Whereas in Norway, it seemed to be more of a uh, cultivation of pregnancies and children. And the pamphlet that I talk about in the book, I'd actually seen it. There is a pamphlet that they circulated. Uh, and a lovely man called Kari Olsen was very, very helpful. Um, he'd written a book about Norwegian Lebensborn, and he, uh, he emailed me. I back and forth with lots of questions and things. And he actually showed me this pamphlet where the Nazis said, this is the type of baby that we want. This is the type of baby that we do not want. Uh, With pictures as well. So very, very uh, cold, calculated. They had had a vision and they were going for it.
1: Presumably what they, they were after blonde haired, blue eyed visions of Aryan perfection.
0: Yes. Yeah. They, that's what they wanted. Um, and because they thought that, I mean, they, they really did believe that there was this going to be this thousand year Reich. So they were planning for the future in a big way.
1: It, it's so, uh, yeah, it's so horrifying really. I mean, there's all, uh, uh, the other thing is that I wasn't, I, I guess I wasn't really aware of the Norwegian aspect of this and it it is just yet another horror that one discovers about World War II and, and, and the Nazi, um, ideology yeah
0: it's just like like the art world isn't it like the the film the monuments men you didn't realize there was so much of that going on until you actually somebody brings it to the public for, and you see things like that um but yeah they were outsourcing um big time and you read things like the handmaid's tale which is brilliant but you know they were doing it for real before that came out
1: yeah it's frightening it really is the F- main female character, Rumi, um, who's who's who is quite a character, and s- s- she doesn't really suffer fools, does she?
0: No, she's quite angry. She's quite <laughs> for good angry, reason right, for, the, for good reason for good reasons from the beginning. She's she's lost someone she loves, and she's incredibly angry. But that makes her angry at everyone, and she has to tame her anger uh, to a certain degree. And along
1: comes someone nice who helps her tame it. And um, her name, Rumi, is is not actually a Norwegian name, is it? No, no, it's um,
0: after a baby that I looked after many, many years ago, she's about 17 or 18 now and she's called Rumi Blue. And I it always stuck with me. Uh, where I live in Stroud in Gloucestershire, we have a lot of unusual names. Suffice to say that if you came up with any kind of name for a baby, it wouldn't shock anyone. In this town so um but i thought rumi was a beautiful name and then i very happily got to be with her her mum's next birth which was about sort of 14 years later and she was present and she's um she's a lovely person and i i sort of uh i appropriated her name is it persian it's uh, i looked it up it's either persian or and it's japanese as well
1: i ask as my wife is 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 from her parents are iranian so they have wonderful names that mean beautiful things.
0: Yes, I think it means beauty. According to the internet, anyway, it means it's either Persian or, or Japanese, and it means beauty in that. Yeah. So I thought, since that she's not a classic beauty, and I make that plain, she's a sort of strong, um, quite broad... I didn't want this, you know, typical, you know, blondie, lovely... You know, she's a fisherman's daughter, and she looks like one.
1: And, and the... Um... The reprisals that I know we've mentioned one in particular, but I just wanted to uh, understand a little bit more about some of the reprisals that were against the civilians that the, the, the Nazis perpetrated, because it's like it 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 was quite difficult for the Germans in one way because they viewed the Norwegians as, as their allies in a way, didn't they?
0: Yes, they did. And I did talk about some reprisals and some of those I've played with because this is a book of fiction. You can play with things. Dates that are set in stone, you can't. There are some incidences I've played with, and some of those, but there were, yes, I mean, there were reprisals, especially for people harbouring agents. I already mentioned Televag, uh, where they basically burned the entire village um, and took all the people off it. A lot of them went to, to camps, um, women and children included. But agents were particularly, uh, after a certain point in the war, uh, the Nazis decreed that any agents. Court did not need to have a trial. they were just shot on site. Um, there was an incident, I think I referred to it early on where there was, um, some people on the Shetland bus were infiltrated by a German pretending to be part of the resistance and uh, they were all horribly tortured and and shot as well so and, and these were civilians as well these weren't these weren't all SOE agents they were civilians working for the resistance. So, yeah, there were there were a
1: lot of reprisals. And so I guess that means, I mean, it's, it's always that difficult moral dilemma, I suppose, if you were a civilian in occupied Norway, how you wanted, to, whether you would choose to go along with things, or even if you're an SOE agent carrying out attacks that you know will result in the killing of your countrymen. It's mm. just a horrific situation to be in that's dealt with quite well in your in your book
0: yeah i call it the human calculation and that there is there is no answer to the human calculation is it's war it's almost like everything gets suspended in war and and although we had the geneva convention things just happen that shouldn't have happened because it's it's war um doesn't make it right but it, it just makes it a reality as we're seeing probably now in you know conflicts that happen all over the world now you know uh, moral standards just disappear
1: yeah we certainly are seeing that now um so so as a historical fiction writer um i'm just quite interested because it's 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 a great access into um history and areas of history so for example you you know this is piqued my interest in in occupied norway um but i wonder as a as a fiction writer do you, I guess it depends on the subject, but do you, how do you deal with when you, we all know the Germans ultimately lose, or if, if, you, if, you're, if you're writing about Berlin in 1938, which I know you've done, we all know the mm. war's going to start in 39. But so how do you kind of uh, maintain suspense or, or interest when with historical fiction, many of and particularly world war ii many people know kind of some of the, the broad strokes of what's going to happen
0: that's a good question i think sometimes it's an advantage because people know that there is what we think is a good outcome okay i mean i think even the german nation of today would say it was the best outcome not necessarily the german people are 45 but you know the world knows that it was a good ending in terms of who we lost to the world um, I think in your characters I think you have to keep the the characters keep have to asking questions of the time Uh, so it's your characters that keep saying god I wonder what's going to happen I wonder what's going to happen of course the reader thinks ha 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 ha, I know what's going to happen and so you you do know that there's going to be an overall happy ending to the world resolve but you can still make it quite perilous um and I do kill off quite a few of my characters um because every so often you have to because it's that's real you know it didn't all have a happy ending so in my first book I um I I, you know I killed off somebody who I didn't want to kill off but (laughs) I had to because that was the reality
1: Uh, I I, I interviewed um fiction author um Bernard Cornwall, who had uh, told me that he had killed off a particular character and he's spent the rest of his books trying to work out how to get him back in and then and <laughs> cursing himself for doing it.
0: Yeah, I, I still lament the, the, the my first book and the, you know, a character who I you just come to love them. You do really come to love them.
1: You have to write a pre- prequel now and then Revival.
0: yes yes well the book i'm writing right now is a kind of small prequel to the resistance girl so it tells us a time before that
1: oh before interesting that.
0: and so so we get to find out a little bit more about my not so nice nazi man
1: oh excellent i shall look out for that that's fantastic yeah. well, okay, so are I'm we sorry. are we uh, just before um, the, what before this forty two is when resistance. Girl. Yeah,
0: so the book I'm writing at the moment is set in London Blitz, the London Blitz, and uh, carries over to occupied Holland.
1: Fantastic. So it's
0: split between the two because I, I really fancied going to Amsterdam as well.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to ask because you you'd written this during lockdown, I think, hadn't you? The Resistance yes. Girl, and yeah. obviously travel was difficult. Did you manage to
0: get out? No, I didn't. Two cancelled trips. I had flights booked, places to stay. Two cancelled trips. Just couldn't go because the Norwegians quite rightly didn't want people with COVID. And uh, so it was tricky. I watched a lot of YouTube. I asked a lot of questions of very nice Norwegian people in museums. Curators of museums are brilliant at answering questions. Um, I even went on to knitting you know knitting historians yes um, knitting is
1: a is a key key pastime for a lot of these uh, characters
0: yes yeah so I even went into the sort of the, the real history of the knitting uh I I just hope I've done it and ironically in the last just yesterday I've booked my tickets to go to bergen finally and so oh, I will fantastic. be going uh in hindsight the book will be out I can't change anything um But I did, yes, I did try to get a. Uh, I just, I think I wrote to someone and said, just can you give me a sense of spring in Bergen? And she gave me a few really good pointers, and uh and so the people of Bergen were incredibly generous in, in giving their time to uh you know a wanton historical fiction writer. They probably thought it was a bit nuts.
1: Oh, well, it's great because you get all the seasons in 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 the story, so.
0: Yes, I particularly like writing about winter. I'm a winter person, and I like writing about winter.
1: Fantastic! Right, well, I don't think I had any more. So it's been so interesting to talk to you.
0: Well, thank you. Uh,
1: and and um, what? Well, the date we need to, the 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 book is out. I think very soon. March 31st in the
0: UK, and then just a couple of weeks afterwards in the U, um, U.S. and Canada and worldwide.
1: Well, best of luck with that. Uh, As I say, I recommend our listeners buy it, read it, because it's a rollicking read. I really enjoyed it.
0: Thank you very much. And thank you for having me.
1: A pleasure, a pleasure. I really enjoyed chatting with Mandy. Interesting writer, and this new story was very enjoyable and very similar. I read Where Eagles Dare when I was younger, which, interesting fact, is that the novel written by Alistair MacLean was based off the screenplay for the film that was the Ronald G. Hutton-directed mo- movie that MacLean wrote the screenplay for. But it wasn't a novel originally, and he then wrote the um, the novel, rather, after the movie came out. Anyway, that's it from me. If you want to get hold of me, you can. I'm on the Twitter, Ollie, Oli, O-L-I-E. EWCQ, and coming up next week we've got a very interesting chat with Nick Guyatt who's the author of a new book all about a horrific incident during the early 19th century the Napoleonic Wars, 1815 and it's a massacre in a prison in Dartmoor that I think very few of us will know about So it's going to be an interesting chat with him. That's coming out next week. Thank you and good night.